Okay, so we're back again. So I want to talk about some stuff today. Um, I want to talk about Roman Catholicism, the uh, counterfeit church, basically. That's basically what it is. It's a counterfeit church. And uh, for many centuries, it has been thought to be, you know, a Christian church. It's thought to be Christianity. But uh, that is not the case. So let's begin. Start with number one. Calling the priest father is forbidden. Fact, Catholics are taught to call their priest father as a religious title of respect. Of respect, Christians in the first century never called their leaders father. This first happens hundreds of years later. Okay. So let's see what uh, Jesus has to say about this. Does Jesus approve of calling the leaders of the church father? Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 23, verse 9. Okay. Number two, praying repetitive words using rosary beads is forbidden. Fact, Catholics pray repetitive words with rosary beads that were first invented in 1090 AD by Peter the Hermit and made popular by St. Dominic in 1208 AD. Catholics believe that Mary appeared to St. Dominic in 1208 AD at the Church of Proli and revealed the rosary beads to him. From this time, Catholics prayed 15 sets of 10 consecutive Hail Marys in a row, 150 times in the rosary. However, in 2003 AD, Pope John Paul added a new set of mysteries. So now it is 20 sets of 10 Hail Marys, 200 times in the rosary in total. That sounds like a workout set. Catholics will vainly appeal to Psalm 136 that alternates the same phrase 26 times with 23 different blessings God gives us. It is not 26 in a row as with the rosary. This is also a song, not a prayer. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, the angels singing, not men praying. Hmm. Historical note, Roman Catholics borrowed the idea of praying with beads from the pagan religions who were already using them hundreds of years before. In 456 AD, Hindus are thought to have introduced the concept of praying with beads to the world. The earliest reference to a rosary, Bopercas, is in their Jain canon, 456 AD. These Bopercas had various numbers of beads. 6, 9, 12, 18, 36, any sub-multiple of 108. Islam, 610 AD, uses a rosary of 99 beads. Question, did Jesus forbid repetitive prayers using rosary beads? And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. 
let's look at the Virgin Mary. Fact, Roman Catholics are taught the Virgin Mary never had sex after Jesus was born and that Jesus had no brothers and sisters. The Pope teaches that Mary is the mediator between God and man. Catholics also engage in more praising of Mary than Jesus Christ himself and actually pray to her to have their prayers answered. Rosary beads graphically represent how Roman Catholics heap 10 times more praise upon Mary than God himself. Of the 59 total beads of the rosary, 53 beads are Hail Marys, but only six beads are Our Father. The rosary beads, the, I'm sorry, the rosary often ends with a Hail Holy Queen prayer to Mary, not God. Wow. Question, did Jesus have brothers and sisters from the womb of Mary? Is, not, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these, these things? Matthew chapter 13 verses 55 to 56. Question number two. Did Joseph being normal I'm sorry, did Joseph begin normal sexual relations with his wife after Jesus was born? And Joseph woke from his sleep and did the angel of the Lord command him and took Mary as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verses 24 to 25. Okay. So as you can see, you know, after Jesus was born, Mary had sexual relations with her husband, Joseph, and he had children. All right. I mean, it's it's sad how, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, Catholics do not read the Bible. It's sad. And many of them they're happy not to because if they were to read the bible they would be held accountable for their actions and a lot of them will be convicted of what the life they are doing okay the truth is a lot of people cling to catholicism because there's perks to it i get to say i'm a good person i get to worship a woman especially if you're a feminist okay I get to have a life separate from God that I can live and do as I please without having been burdened with the cross of Christ as those Christians do. Okay. All I have to do is say hail 10, Ma a few couple of hail Marys and I'm good compared to like, I have to give up my cherished love sin. Okay. It's basically, you know, I could be a Christian without the suffering. But at, at the actual suffering, and I get the appraises of the world. It's basically what it is. All right. Question three: The Bible says there is only one media, mean one media between God and man. Is Mary the one mediator? For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. First Timothy chapter two verse five. Question four, Catholics engage in endless praise of Mary. When a woman praises Jesus, mother to his face, did Jesus commend, encourage this woman to continue praising Mary? 
While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 28. So basically, Jesus says, No, do not, not bless the woman. Okay? She was just a vessel to bring me into this world. Blessed is the one that hears the word of God and keeps it and obeys it. Number four, every Christian drinks of the communion cup. Fact, from 1200 to 1970 AD, Roman Catholics laity were forbidden to drink the blood. This is known as communion under one kind or a communion of one species. During this time, Roman Catholics are permitted to eat the bread body of the Lord's Supper. They are generally not allowed to drink the wine blood of the Lord's Supper, as many Catholics know from his own experience from attending Mass, except on rare special occasions. The laity, the people in the pews, are withheld the cup of the Lord It is and is usually reserved for church leaders only. Yes, there are denominations within the Roman Catholic communion where some Roman Catholic sects are actually actually offer the juice, but most mass attending Catholics know they rarely drink the cup of wine. Historical note, two early popes condemned with holding the cup, Pope Leo died 461 AD and Pope Gisalus died 496 AD. Within the 12th century, the practice was begun and normally approved by the Catholic Council of Constance in 14. 15 AD. So for the first thousand years, the Catholics in the pews drank the cup, and then the Pope changed the, this apostolic tradition. Under the reforms of the Vatican II, the laity were once again permitted to have communion under both kinds species. Today, many Roman Catholics are unaware that from almost 900 years, the average members were forbidden to drink the blood, while Catholics have restored their practices back to the original first century tradition, which they call communion under both kinds. It illustrates every shifting and changing doctrinal evolution that is present in the Roman Catholic Church. Tradition, which they call communion under both kinds. All right, read that already. Question number one, did Christ and the Apostle Paul command that every Christian should drink the communion cup? Let's hear it. To the disciples, drink from it, all of you. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. To the whole church in Corinth, in doing, in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread after a blessing. He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup, and give thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus is the night, the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often you eat this bread, drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Okay. Let's look at number five. All Christians are saints. Fact, the Pope says only very special dead Catholic people qualify to be saints. For example, Pope John Paul II could not make Mother Teresa saint officially canonized until she was dead. The average Catholic in the pew is never called a saint, dead or alive. In fact, if a pew-dwelling Catholic starts calling himself a saint, he would be rebuked by the parish priest. Wow. Interesting. Interesting, man. But according to the Bible, once you're born again and living for Jesus, you're a saint. Ah, some good tea here. So, Let's ask four questions. Question number one. Was every living Christian in the church in Corinth called a saint? Let's check it out. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Question number two, did Paul write the book of Ephesians to, to dead saints? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Yeah, he wrote to living people who are saints. Ephesians chapter one, verse one. Question number three, was the average Christian in the church at Philippi called a saint in distinction to the bishop and deacons? Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseas and overseers and deacons. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Question number 4. Was every Christian living in Rome called to, called to be a saint? To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 7. 6. All Christians are priests. The Pope decided to reserve the title of priest to worn by church leaders only. The average pew-dwelling Catholic never referred to themselves as priests. In fact, if a lay Catholic started calling himself a priest, he would be rebuked by the parish priest. All right, here's a question. Did Jesus call Christians to be priests, including the average member in the pew? You. All Christians also, as living stones, are built up as spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. But you all, okay, you, all Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences, excellencies of him, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Jesus has made us, all Christians, to be a kingdom, priests 
to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. You have made them, all Christians, to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon earth. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. Let's look at number seven now. Bishops must be married. Fact, in 1079 AD, celibacy was first enforced for priests and bishops by Pope Gregory the Seventh. Before this time, they were permitted to marry. Now, here's the first question. Does the Bible teach that the bishop obviously must be married and also have children as one of the conditions of being qualified to be a bishop? A bishop then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pernicious, but pugnacious, be, uh, fighting, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Okay. First Timothy chapter three, verses two to five. Question number two, in the very text, in the very next chapter of the Bible, after bishops are told they must be married with children, does the Holy Spirit warn the forbidding to marry as a doctrine of demons? But the Holy Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as of with a brand and iron men forbidding who forbid marriage and advocating abstaining from foods which god has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth first timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Very interesting. I must say, I must say this is an interesting verse. Okay. I must say. How many of you have heard of men going their own way? How many have heard of that? How many of you? MGTOW. Have stayed, they say not the forbid marriage. Hmm. Just a thought. Number eight, Peter was married. Fact. Most Catholics believe that the Apostle Peter was the first Pope and was not married. As one Roman Catholic leader said, if Peter had a wife when he first met Jesus, he got rid of her quick. What? Wow. So let's ask a question. Did Peter have a wife? Now Simon's mother-in-law was laying sick with fever and immediately and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. Mark chapter one, verse 30. Question number two, did Paul say all the apostles, including Peter, had the right to be married? Do we not have the right to take a take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Let's look at number 9 now. Latin Mass, forbidden. 
For over a thousand years, the Roman Catholic Church often conduct their masses services entirely in the Latin language when no one sitting in the pews understands the Latin language. Roman, most Roman Catholics have, who have sat through such Latin mass service have wondered what is going on. It was not until 1965 AD that, Pope, that the Pope finally understood 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19, and allowed masses to be conducted in the same vernacular language as the local people, English in North America. Question number one, is Latin mass forbidden in the Bible when no one in the pews understands Latin? Let's look at it. In the church, desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19. Let me read it again. In the church, which I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19. Now we check this one out. <clears throat> the observance of special days condemned. Fact, the Roman Catholic Church has invented an entirely yearly calendar of non-biblical holy days like Lent, Easter, and Christmas. Historical note, no one prior to 335 AD celebrated the birth of Jesus, the birthday of Jesus. The word Christmas, Christ Mass, was first used in 1038 AD before 335 AD the pagan cult of Mithra, the Iranian god of light, had long had long been celebrated <clears throat> December 25th as Mithra's birthday, December 21st being the winter solace marking the beginning of days with increasing amount of light. Hence, December 25th celebrated Mithra's triumph over darkness. Because the pagan festival that celebrated Mithra's birthday was so popular, the Roman Catholic Church adopted the day but changed the meaning of from the birthday of Mithra, the God of light, to Christ's birthday, God the Son. Light of the world. The old the old meaning of December 25th was connected with Mithra's triumph over physical darkness. The new meaning celebrated Jesus' triumph over spiritual darkness. Eventually, Christmas became dominant. The Mithra cult went extinct, and today this origin is not widely known among Roman Catholics. None of the apostles or the early church celebrated the birth of, G of the birth of um, the birth of Jesus. Here's the question: Did the early Christians celebrate Christmas, Lent, and Easter? You observe the days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Galatians chapter four verses ten to eleven. Another question: Are Christians told to remember the Lord's death every Sunday, on the first day of the week, Sunday? When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. <clears throat> All right. Now, here we go here. All right. Um, worshiping idols, icons, images violates the second commandment. Catholics regularly bow down to idols, icons, and images of Jesus, Mary, and the apostles kissing the feet of the statue and praying to them. Catholic Now Catholics get very upset when you accuse them of worshiping Mary. They deny they, wor they are worshiping Mary with loud ideological and irrational protests. What these, what these need to understand is that the Bible teaches we only pray to 
deity, and Christians consider it paganism and polytheism to pray to anyone except the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So while Catholics pray to Mary, they fail to comprehend that only deity is to be prayed to, and this is underlying the reason why non-Catholics correctly lay the charge they worship Mary. <clears throat> and this is the underlying reason why non-Catholics correctly lay the charge they worship Mary and all the saints they pray to. The Bible clearly teaches that all dead humans, though conscious in the spirit world, are unable to know anything, much less hear prayers addressed to them, bowing down to icons, kissing them, etc. Okay? So closely resemble idol worship, it is actually shocking that any Roman Catholic would attempt to defend the practice. But again, they simply do the practice but deny the worship. To illustrate the point, Muslims deny they are worshiping the moon god as their Allah, as soon as, as moon worships is even condemned in the Quran. But the fact of history is that Muhammad rid the Kaaba, rid, I'm sorry, he rid the Kaaba in Mecca of the 365 gods inside the cubicle building. Oh, he hid them. They need to, they need to uh, do some uh, spell checking with this. He hid the Hidden the kebab, 365 gods inside the cubicle building, but retained one on the roof known as the moon god, Hubal. Muhammad simply took the moon god from the roof and denied it was the moon god and called Hubal Allah. The historical vestige of, its, of this origin is confirmed in that every mosque in the world has a crescent moon on the roof, just like the original Hubal moon god. On the roof of Kaaba. Muslims get mad when you point out that Allah is really the moon god, and Catholics get mad when you point out they are worshiping Mary and saints when they pray to them. When a child stands in the middle of the room and points his hand and puts his hand over his eyes and says, You can't see me, that doesn't mean they are invisible, except in the mind of the child. Roman Catholics put their hands over their eyes and say, We do not worship idols, and we do not consider praying to Mary an act of worship. Saying so doesn't make it so. Roman Catholic apologists who harshly criticize Protestants who accuse them of worshiping idols and Mary need to take a closer look in the mirror and be honest with reality. At the very least, they could tone down their ranting against Protestants misrepresenting Catholic faith with a bit of self-deflection and good, a good history lesson. Historical note, the Pope deleted the second of the Ten Commandments so they could use the statues and images in worship. They split the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment on coveting into two commandments so they could have so you could still have ten in a number. Don't believe this? Look at the list of Ten Commandments published by the Roman Catholic Church. The issue here is not how the Ten Commandments are numbered, rather, the issue is that the most published list of Ten Commandments. Do not include the words. Ye shall not, you shall not for yourself an idol. Open your Catholic Bible and look for yourself. Here's another question. Does the second commandment approve of bowing down and kissing idols? You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath. You shall not worship them or serve them. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. Okay, now here's another one. 
Okay, the rest you know, I'll leave for you. I'll leave the link in the description box and you can look for yourself. Baptism is fully immersion in water, not sprinkling. Fact, the Catholic Church baptizes babies by sprinkling water, a little water on them. Historical note, Greek work of baptism literally means immersion. There are separate words in Greek for sprinkling and pouring and immersion. Only the Greek word for immersion is used for baptism in the Bible. The first recorded case of sprinkling was 257 AD to someone on a sickbed. It was then exception to the rule and brought about fierce opposition from the whole church. Not until 757 AD did the church accept sprinkling in such a sickbed cases for, of necessity. It wasn't until 1311 AD when the Catholic, when the Catholic Council of Ravenna declared that sprinkling was an acceptable substitute for immersion. And for that, from that time forward, sprinkling replaced the immersion in the Roman Catholic Church. The, Ox the Orthodox Church refused sprinkling and it still emerges to this day. Hmm. Question, was Jesus baptized full immersion in the Jordan River? After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Matthew chapter three, verse 16. Question number two. Question. Does the second commandment approve of bowing down and kissing idols? You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath. You shall not worship them or serve them. Exodus chapter 20, verse four and five. Okay, now here's another one. Okay, the rest you know, I'll leave for you. I'll leave the link in the description box and you can look for yourself. Baptism is fully immersion in water, not sprinkling. Fact, the Catholic Church baptizes babies by sprinkling water, a little water on them. Historical note, Greek work of baptism literally means immersion. There are separate words in Greek for sprinkling and pouring and immersion. Only the Greek word for immersion is used for baptism in the Bible. The first recorded case of sprinkling was 257 AD to someone on a sickbed. It was then exception to the rule and brought about fierce opposition from the whole church. Not until 757 AD did the church accept sprinkling in such a sickbed cases of necessity. It wasn't until 1311 AD when the Catholic, when the Catholic Council of Ravenna declared that sprinkling was an acceptable substitute for immersion. And for that, from that time forward, sprinkling replaced the immersion in the Roman Catholic Church. The, Ox the Orthodox Church refused sprinkling, and it still emerges to this day. Hmm. Question, was Jesus baptized full immersion in the Jordan River? After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Question number two, when Philip baptized the eunuch, did not both of them, did not both of them go into the water? And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Acts chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. Question three, can babies be baptized since they do not? first believe. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. 
Matthew chapter 16, verse chapter 16, verse 16. Plainly here, you know, you have to be, you have to know what you're doing. Okay. And I've seen this a lot. A lot of people, you know, who are Catholic will defend sprinkling water on a baby. The baby doesn't have any conscience of what sin is. You have to know what you're doing when you're being baptized. Question four, can babies be baptized since they do not first repent? Brethren, what must we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 38. Okay. And um, that is just uh, basically it. All right. The rest you can read for yourself. All right. I hope this uh, blesses people and could also help you minister to Catholics and help them to know the faith. All right. There's a lot of lost souls out here, and they need to hear the gospel. And if they reject it, they reject it. Dust your feet off and go to the next town. Peace and be blessed.